Welcome to EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with John Fensterwald, who is Editor-at-Large at EdSource. I'm also here with Carolyn Jones, who covers math and science and immigration issues for EdSource, and we'll be talking with Carolyn in a couple of minutes. But John, before we turn to Carolyn, let me just ask you about a hearing that happened this week on special education. Yes. This issue can get highly technical, but special education is a hot issue in California. It affects large numbers of students and it costs the state quite quite a bit of money. So what's, what's the issue on the table right now? Yeah, it costs about $13 billion a year, of which districts pay about 60. Wait, wait, $13 billion? With a B. What? Even in California, that, that means something. And uh, about 60% of that cost is borne by districts. And so, basically, the encouragement... Now, just to clarify, when you say borne by districts, I mean, the districts get money from the state. So, the, the state has That's to right. pay for this somewhere or another. So, when you say borne by districts, what, what do you mean That's by that? right. Federal district, the federal government contributes about 9%, and the state contributes about 30%. And these these percentages have gone down over time. And so anything that's not, the, the districts have to make up that gap if students deserve services. And so it's grown significantly for districts over the past 10 years from about 40% to about 60%. So they have to somehow scrounge around in their in their budgets and come up with the money. That's it's to, out of their general fund, to yes. To provide for the services that are called for in this individual education plan that every that special ed student has to Every student have. is entitled to that. That's correct. And so at the encouragement of State Board of Education President Michael Kirst and Linda Darling-Hammond, retired Stanford professor, they, they said, we're not getting good results from special education in terms of academic results. The students aren't progressing. So let's take a look at financing. We've looked at other aspects. And so... Public Policy Institute of California did a study, and what they recommended is that let's not fund these intermediate organizations called SELPAs. That's the only state in the nation that have them. They're regional agencies called Special Education Local Plan Areas. That's a mouthful. So or SELPAs. That stands for SELPA, okay? Let's not okay. fund those because yeah. right now the funding goes through SELPAs. And and the uh, PPIC said, why don't we put it through the local control funding formula? Everything else is except for special education. And districts would have more control over the money. And the, dis- and the money would be a little bit more flexible because under the local control funding formula, districts can decide how to spend the money unlike the old system. Well, parents at hearings throughout the state for hearings, they turn- parents of, of students with disabilities turned out in, in massive numbers and were very vehement that they don't like that idea. They say they basically it comes down to trust. We don't trust the districts to have to make wise decisions for our kids, particularly if it's flexible dollars. They think that it'll go into perhaps teacher salaries or other purposes, and so they said, "Don't do this." Is this a state board decision or who who makes? No, the absolutely, it's a legislative decision. It's a budget decision, and. And Jerry Brown and the Department of Finance were interested enough in this idea to hold these hearings, but it's clear that that's going to have trouble. The parents want to have more money for special education and to sort of equalize how much money the SELPAs get. There are problems there. But my sense is, 
uh, governor's not going to do that until there's reform, at least whether you reform the SELPAs to make them more effective and uniform or go ahead and do the LCFF. The, the governor's not going to give them more money until we get some reform, and it's probably not going to happen this year. John, I have to say, a lot of acronyms here are SELPAs, LCFFs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. For, Let's for, call for this... The, for the for just somebody looking at this from outside, I mean, is this what difference is this going to make to kids? How does this really affect kids in the in the final analysis? But that's what this is all about. Yeah. Well, right now the argument is of parents that the special education, although the money's coming out of the districts more every year, but it's still underfunded, and everybody's fighting over dollars. So, what will it do for for uh, kids with disabilities? Parents say, just don't give it to districts. The uh, PPIC, use that acumen of the, <laughs> the nonprofit, they're saying it's really worth trying it through the districts because the districts make the decisions under the local control funding formula. Parents will have a say that way. Districts are already spending a lot of money, so that's where it should go, and it's unresolved right now. Okay, and just for those of you that know the total alphabet soup PPIC is the Public Policy Institute of California. They do terrific reports that help inform policy making in California. Carolyn, we're here with Carolyn Jones, who is covering a lot of the turmoil around immigration and the impact that it's having on, or the impact that Trump administration policies around immigration are having on children in California, which California has more undocumented students than any other state and more undocumented parents, which is also having an impact on children. So what happened today, Carolyn, that you're writing about? Tom Torlakson, the state superintendent of public instruction, filed a brief um, in support of Santa Clara County, which has sued the federal government to stop the Trump administration's order that would cut funding for local governments or jurisdictions, including schools probably, that declare themselves as sanctuaries or safe havens or vow to protect undocumented immigrants. Well, so uh, how many districts have actually done that in California? 57. Well, 57 have passed a resolution of mm -hmm. some kind, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Trying to protect or reminding immigrant students of their rights. but. Yes. Only a small number have actually declared themselves sanctuaries or safe haven. Is, is, that, is that correct? Yeah, it's largely a symbolic move. They're sanctuary, safe haven. Some don't use those words at all. They just say we're not going to let ICE agents on campus. ICE be being the Immigration and yeah. Customs Enforcement. Yes, yeah. the federal immigration agents on campus, but without permission from the superintendent. But in a lot of cases, that's not legal anyway. So... Mostly it's a symbolic gesture to provide some comfort to undocumented families. But there's a concern that just by passing a resolution that the school districts could put themselves at risk of losing funds. Is that is that what the concern is? Yes. The Trump executive order threatens to withhold federal funding to any local agency that doesn't cooperate or, as I think it says, willfully defies the federal immigration laws. Mm -hmm. And so just to clarify, because I've looked at this, this executive order uh, quite closely, and schools are not mentioned specifically in this. It does say for any jurisdiction that calls that declares itself a sanctuary, 
and our school districts jurisdiction yeah it seems that's the case but the lawyers i've talked to say well we don't know we don't actually know what exactly will happen and secondly even if you haven't declared yourself a sanctuary the attorney general is instructed to look at these actions by local jurisdictions and if he does he in this case jeff sessions decides that this is in effect a sanctuary city then they or sanctuary resolution then they can withhold funds absolutely and that's and that's part of the brief as well um torlickson is saying that this is too vague we don't know what this means and uh i think 35 other cities around the country have joined uh, this lawsuit including the city of oakland uh, city of los angeles uh, San Francisco has filed its own lawsuit. Uh, Minneapolis, Chicago, Denver, they've all also mm. joined this as well. Let me ask you, do you get a sense that school districts are concerned about this? I think only, I haven't heard any concern from districts. They have dug their heels in. They say, this is what we're doing. We're here to educate students, all students, and we want our students to feel safe, and we want families to know that they can bring their kids to school and it's going to be okay. I think districts John. are responding to parents' concern, right? I mean, mm -hmm. parents are powerfully worried, so this is in part their response. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I think families are, I think, you know, there's widespread fear around California and the rest of the country, too. Um, there was an incident in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago where a father dropped his kid off from, at school and was arrested. So, yeah, there's a lot of fear. And I, also, I think there's some issues, uh, incidents of parents keeping their children out of school. Uh, and, and again, just to clarify, there actually haven't been any raids on school campuses. There is a, the official policy of the federal government is still that they will not have raids on sensitive locations, and a school is a sensitive location. And uh, and this executive order really hasn't been implemented yet. So so all of this is kind of in its early stages. But it sounds like the California education. Officials are trying to be proactive on this on this issue. Okay, well, Carolyn, keep us posted. Thanks, thanks for coming in. Speaking of Trump, we wrote a story this week about uh, potentially a big increase in startup grants for charter schools. That's one area in the increase in California may see from the federal budget. Will it make a difference at all, Lewis? Well, it, very interesting. You will recall, of course, you will recall that President Trump has proposed massive reductions in the Department of Education's budget, $9 I, billion. But I do recall that. A couple of areas where there's an increase, and not surprisingly, there's been an increase, massive increase um, for school choice programs. He's also called for increasing, as part of that, increasing the amount of money going to charter schools from $333 million to about $500 billion, million. So that's about a half billion dollars. I don't know, is that chump change by federal standards? But pretty significant. When, when it actually filters down to California, startup charter schools or new ones in the first year or so can get up to $575,000. This is actually really a critical piece of funding to get these charter schools off the ground because that's when there is significant startup costs. And yes. so this will really help charter schools, particularly the California Charter School Association, which, by the way, had a big conference in Sacramento. John, you were there. Yes, I was for a day. Yes. Big turnout. Oh, always big. Always big. Thousands of people. A lot of positive energy there. Well, I, 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 in, the, in the time that I was there. Yeah. 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 
Well, so the Charter School uh, Move uh, Association, as we reported, is trying to increase en- enrollments in charter schools from the current level of about 600,000 to a million. To get all these new schools off the ground will really require the, these kinds of funds, so it will help them get off the ground. Now, the, the issue, of course, is that it's a double-edged sword because actually charter schools are going to lose some money because they also get federal monies from these other pots of money that the Trump administration is proposing to cut. Yeah, that was I was part of a panel discussion in which I moderated at 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 the uh, Charter School Association, and and that came up. And Yvette Kingberg, who runs a charter in L.A., was saying, you know, we think that it's important to get these starting grades because you just can't start a school without any money. You need to gradually do a lot of things that first year. Nonetheless, we're as concerned as other. We we are public schools. She was saying we're concerned like any other school. So we're not. We don't want to get at the expense of other money that district schools and charter schools get, we think that there should not be a cut. But yes, we're enthusiastic about the potential of getting additional grants. And what was interesting to me is that this issue of increased funding has kind of underscores some of the tensions within the charter school movement itself. The National Charter School Association said, great, we love this extra money. The California Charter School Association was a little more cautious because they don't want to be seen as identifying with all these cutbacks that other regular public schools will feel very significantly. And uh, so they're walking a kind of a very difficult path, I would say. Yeah. They, they don't want to be seen as like, oh, we're, we're benefiting while everybody else is really going to suffer. Right. I, I think they're aware that the poll came out this week that the president's popularity is around 30% in California. John, before I let you go... Give me your prediction of the week. Well, this week, Shirley Weber, assemblywoman from Democrat from San Diego, brought the issue of California tenure back. She introduced a bill that would extend tenure from the current two years to three years. You know, this argument's been around, was debated lively in the Vergara case, in which the court refused to take it, but Shirley is very insistent. She's reintroducing that bill. And... What do you think? Well, there'll Your be a prediction, little... John. What is, is it going to pass or not? I predict there will be long, contentious hearings, and at the end of that hearing, no, it won't pass. Okay. Well, we will see. When 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 is this? What's the timeline for decision on this? I don't know. It was just announced this week, so there have to be hearings, and Assembly Ed would be the first step. It may not even get out of Assembly Ed. We'll see. That's the first test. So, Lewis, uh, tell me what's some scuttlebutt you've been hearing. Well, John, you mentioned last week that, or we talked about last week, that Marshall Tuck was the first candidate to throw his name formally into the race with Superintendent of Public Instruction. And uh, I heard this week that one person who is seriously considering this is Assemblyman Tony Thurman, uh, who represents Oakland, Berkeley, Richmond. Interesting. Uh, And um, Assemblyman Thurman was on the West Contra Costa Unified school district board of education so he does have a background in education and uh and i believe strong ties to the california teachers association i believe so and that would be essential to getting elected uh, this is going to be a tough race but uh yeah so what do you think will he throw his so-called hat in the ring uh, you know i think he in his case 
he's he's a pretty new assembly person so he'd have to decide does he let go of an assembly seat to run for uh, what will be a tough race against Marshall Marshall Tuck we know there's going to be a lot of money put on the table he'll be a formidable uh, opponent in Marshall Tuck for sure well John that about wraps it up until next week I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fensterwald. For more information on these topics, go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks for listening.